0: Squeaky Clean listeners, welcome to the 97th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On today's episode, with more than two gigawatts of renewable energy projects stuck in the interconnection queue across the country, the nation's electricity regulatory body sets out to clear that backlog and accelerate the clean energy transition. But before that conversation, a few short updates. We're just over two months away now from NCSEA's Making Energy Work Conference, which will be held November 2nd through the 3rd in Raleigh. This is the conference to learn about all of the latest policy updates taking place within the Southeast while catching up with industry leaders from all across the region. Hurry and register today as early bird ticket pricing is set to expire at the end of August. For more information, visit makingenergywork.com. And on to a quick update about the status of building codes in North Carolina. As many of our listeners have probably been tracking, the Building Code Council here in the state was in the process of considering updated building codes that would have helped homeowners save nearly $400 a year in energy costs and ensure the state's eligibility to receive proactive resiliency funding from FEMA. Unfortunately, last week, we saw the legislature put the final nail in the coffin of updating our state's building energy codes from their woefully outdated 2009 standards to the proposed 2021 standards with amendments. Earlier in the session, we saw House Bill 488 introduced, which essentially prevents the Building Code Council from updating codes until 2031, which would lead to the state operating with codes that would be more than 20 years old at that point. That bill was passed out of the General Assembly and sent to the governor's desk, Governor Cooper then vetoed due to concerns about maintaining home affordability through lower energy bills. And last week, the legislature voted to override Governor Cooper's veto, cementing the bill and preventing code updates for the foreseeable future. I've included a link in the show notes to a news story with the latest updates. Support for the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast comes from Solarize the Triangle, a community-based group purchasing program for solar energy and battery storage. Available to Triangle area homeowners, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. More information, along with free evaluation appointments, through September 30th, can be found at SolarizeTheTriangle.com. Clean energy. Our guest today on the podcast leads Advanced Energy United's engagement on wholesale markets and serves as a technical and strategic expert across multiple initiatives for the organization. She also leads the Advanced Energy Buyers Group, a coalition of leading companies working to expand their use of advanced energy. Prior to joining Advanced Energy United, our guest worked at Altinex, LLC, now Edison Energy, helping companies with renewable energy procurement. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Caitlin Marquis to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here.
0: So, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit more about Advanced Energy United and how your organization is involved in clean energy related issues all across the country?
1: Yeah so Advanced Energy United is a national industry association and our mission and purpose is to support the transition to a 100% clean economy by engaging on energy policy our membership is really broad. It includes utility scale, wind, solar and storage, distributed energy resources, electric vehicles, demand response, energy efficiency, smart grid and grid enhancing technologies, enabling software. So really a wide range of companies that are all united in this vision of a clean grid and a clean economy. And our work is focused on impacting policy outcomes. So we work really everywhere that energy policy decisions get made at legislatures, at commissions. Uh, We work with administrations, with agencies across more than a dozen states and also in DC. And then personally, I am focused on wholesale markets and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So the regional transmission organizations and independent system operators and FERC that oversees those entities.
0: Well, we could probably go down a rabbit hole about a lot of different things, including another topic that we just did an episode on, which was the Southeast Energy Exchange Market, which I'm sure you've been tracking quite closely in your role as well. But today we're specifically talking about FERC order 2023. So at the end of July, we saw FERC issue this order set to transform interconnection for renewable projects across the country uh, at a high level can you lay out what this order is about and why it's been getting so much attention lately
1: yeah well so this like you said it's a it's an order that impacts the interconnection of new projects that are looking to connect to the grid. So I think it's getting a lot of attention because there's a lot of projects that are looking to connect to the grid. Um, it's been a long time coming. So FERC initially issued an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking a couple years ago and then took comments. So we've been waiting for this order for a while. And it's also the first major interconnection reform from FERC in 20 years. And it comes at a time when the industry is transforming because of policy, because of technology and price improvements, customer demand, and then all of that kind of supercharged by the IRA. So there's a lot of reasons why interconnection reform is both needed and also sort of why there's been a lot of attention on this FERC order. And what it does, it has three kind of main parts. It moves all interconnection processes to a cluster approach where projects are studied instead of sort of in order, first in, first out, studied as a group. So that's the the first piece. And then there's a bunch of parameters and requirements around how those clusters are run. And then there are some reforms to improve the processing of interconnection queues, including some requirements on transmission providers to meet deadlines and then there's a whole sort of bucket of reforms around accommodating new technologies both new technologies looking to connect to the grid and also technologies that can help to address interconnection needs transmission constraints that get identified as part of the interconnection process so really series of reforms intended as a whole to improve the interconnection process speed and reduce uncertainty and just smooth out some of the challenges that projects have been experiencing and transmission providers have been experiencing.
0: Speaking of some of those challenges, let's let's dive into that a a little bit more specifically. So, you know, what are what are some of those challenges you briefly mentioned some of the backlog that we've been seeing, especially with renewable projects across the country? Can you tell us a little bit more about what's been going on there, and are there other challenges that this order sets out to address as well?
1: Yeah, so interconnection is probably one of the biggest challenges that our members that our project developers raise as a as an issue for them for getting projects built. There's over two gigawatts of projects stuck in interconnection queues across the country. Those are mostly clean, renewable energy and storage and hybrid projects. Some regions are sort of doing a little bit better than others, but I think probably nowhere is the interconnection process really working well. So you have these huge backlogs and you also have costs to interconnect and the time to interconnect has been increasing. Again, really across the country, there's some great research from Lawrence Berkeley National Lab on queues across the country. They dug into the data, how projects have been moving through, and the time to get projects through the queue has increased from less than two years, um, not that long ago, to five years in some places. And the costs of interconnecting projects is also increasing, which obviously has an impact on the ability of renewable and storage project developers to get projects online. Efficiency introduces a lot of uncertainty that also increases costs. So that's important for meeting clean energy decarbonization targets, but it's also important for healthy competition, facilitating market entry and exit that's efficient affordability given the improvements in cost and performance of advanced energy technologies, but also just improving the efficiency and cost-effectiveness of the interconnection process has follow-on effects for ultimate consumers. And then also reliability, just ensuring resource adequacy and making sure that there are enough resources connecting to the grid. If you don't have an interconnection process that's working properly, it, it becomes really a reliability challenge as well. So all of these backlogs are hugely problematic and and seem to be getting worse kind of across the country. And so this this reform really comes at a critical time when there's there's really a need to improve the interconnection process.
0: There was actually a report recently released by the North Carolina Utilities Commission that had shown some projects that were that recently had received interconnection approval had been waiting in the queue for almost eight years. And so it's been a significant issue here in in North Carolina, even though we've had our own set of reforms that have, have gone into place, it's still been a pretty prevalent issue. I wonder maybe on the opposite side, in thinking about markets like Texas, for example, where we have seen a lot of renewables deployed over the past couple of years. Is there something that they are doing well in that market that's enabled them to deploy faster than in other markets on the interconnection side?
1: Yeah. Well, well, one at Texas is a a little bit of a special case where they are studying projects in a slightly different way um, because of the lack of a capacity market. They are subjecting Generally, interconnection customers or projects to fewer required network upgrades as part of the interconnection process. So, they have a slightly sort of smoother process that does mean that on the other end, projects might have an increased re- risk of curtailment. There's not sufficient transmission capacity to accommodate resources, but there's more of an assumption that you're going to be able to curtail and use some operational tools to make sure that you're not having reliability impacts. But more broadly, to the point of, you know, there's been lots of places where there have been interconnection reforms that have been pursued and approved and implemented. And you're still seeing delays in a lot of these places, like MISO, for example, has had a cluster process in place for many years, and they've iterated and improved on that. And still, they are facing volumes of projects that they are saying they, they can't handle. So I think we can talk a little bit more about sort of the limitations of, of interconnection reform. But this, the scope of the challenge and the backlog and the need for reform is this is a really important order that makes some really good progress. But to your point, it's a really big challenge. And there's almost certainly more work that's going to be needed.
0: So let's dive into the nuts and bolts of of this order specifically and and talking about what in, in in practicality what this cluster study model looks like and are there components of the order as well that help to distribute transmission upgrade costs amongst the developers that are a party to this this cluster study process.
1: Yeah, so so starting with the cluster study process because that is sort of the the central reform that FERC is implementing although as we've touched on some regions and some utilities have already moved to a cluster study process but there's a there's a series of parameters that you need to consider in moving to a cluster study process and some additional pieces that FERC considered in this reform so the the first thing that they did with respect to the The clusters is actually recognized that one of the challenges in the interconnection process is just a lack of information for interconnection customers or projects that are entering the queue. Um, So they require the transmission providers to publicly post some information about the system and to update that as project requests come into the cluster. And then they set a process and timeline around the cluster itself. So it starts with a customer engagement window. There's the cluster study, there's a restudy window, there's the facility study, and then there's the interconnection agreement execution. And FERC sets sort of timelines, expectations, parameters around all of those processes. But, But really what it does is takes all of the projects that come in It's an annual window to to enter a cluster, and it studies them all together to look at what upgrades are needed and then sets a process for identifying responsibility for shared network upgrades and allocating costs of those network upgrades so that you get away from this serial approach of assigning all of the costs to... Whichever customer is unlucky enough to be in line when an upgrade is triggered doesn't eliminate the possibility of customers dropping out and causing the need for restudies that can cause delays and result in uncertainty at the start of the process, but hopefully just makes the process more efficient and fair.
0: And I think anything that we can do to break down barriers and reduce hurdles to interconnecting and move projects onto the grid faster is is a great win. So while this this addresses some of those those issues around the transmission queue, does the order do anything to address the need for new transmission above and beyond what already exists? I mean, we we all know that there are some real transmission constraints in certain parts of the country that are limiting our ability to interconnect more projects, especially in light of, you know, the federal administration clean energy goals and various state clean energy goals, anything a part of this order that addresses new transmission permitting and build out?
1: I think you're hitting on sort of the other piece of the puzzle of, of interconnection is and and Acting Chair Phillips of FERC recognized this the day that the order was released while celebrating, you know, this unanimous decision and, and huge progress on interconnection reform that the next thing that FERC needs to do, and FERC does have a number of Reforms sort of teed up around transmission um, planning, cost allocation. That is really also needed to ensure that we are building out the transmission system in an efficient and forward looking way to enable future projects to interconnect more smoothly and without sort of some of the. The significant network upgrades that are currently being identified for projects entering the interconnection queue. So, FERC has a number of open dockets. I think most notable and and closest to being ready to move forward is alongside interconnection. Um, FERC took comment on transmission planning and cost allocation and issued a separate notice of proposed rulemaking there. And that's pending. FERC has taken comment on it. Um, It's really sort of at the commission and ready for a final order, whatever the commission is ready to issue that. And I think if finalized and, and if FERC includes some of the really important components of the proposal and strengthens it in a couple of places, like requiring evaluation of some of the important benefits that transmission can provide to make sure that we're really looking at the multiple values and not doing sort of siloed planning um, of transmission needs. That could really be important progress to make sure that we're investing intelligently and efficiently in in needed transmission. FERC also has notice of proposed rulemaking to implement its backstop siting authority so that, again, FERC is taking comment and can take action on that and that allows FERC to address permitting delays that that might come up. There's also a proceeding on cost containment that FERC had a technical conference and then took comments. So there's not a proposed rule year, but again, a place where FERC could take action to improve the efficiency of the investments that we are making in transmission. Because there's a lot of spending happening in transmission, and a lot of it is happening on local and and immediate need projects rather than sort of more efficient, more beneficial regional and interregional projects. And then FERC also has taken comment on interregional transfer capability. So there's a lot that FERC could move forward and work on to address transmission needs that would help to address interconnection delays sort of separate and apart from this interconnection order.
0: So it sounds like overall interconnection reform and and transmission are the top priorities for FERC overall. And if I'm not mistaken, with FERC order 2023, we did see it unanimously pass amongst commissioners. Do you get a sense from FERC commissioners that this is a a priority overall moving forward?
1: Certainly, it was good to see the commission be able to unanimously support the interconnection rule. I think that really speaks to some of the challenges that we were talking about, sort of the the need for reform, clearly the commission um, was aligned on. I think it remains to be seen on transmission planning and cost allocation, where the commission will come out and also what the makeup of the commission will be when it's um, issuing this order. There's an open seat currently, and current Commissioner Danley's term has has expired and and he's able to stay on through the end of the year, but there could also be a different makeup at the commission when a final order is issued on transmission planning, cost allocation, and when the commission pushes forward some of these other proceedings. I would say it is clear that Acting Chair Phillips has really made clear that transmission is a priority for him. He's said that multiple times, including the day that that they were celebrating the unanimous decision on order 2023. So I think that's really encouraging that sitting at the helm of the commission, he's prioritized uh, transmission and recognizes the importance of pushing forward these reforms.
0: Yeah, it's pretty telling to see the unanimous decision. It's It's not very often in the energy space that you see unanimous sort of agreement on any sort of issue. So I think it's it's recognized across the board that, that transmission is a real critical issue overall for us to be focused on moving forward. So does this order broadly apply to transmission across the country, or does this apply specifically to interstate projects and or in RTO-type territories?
1: The order applies to the FERC jurisdictional interconnection processes, um, which is, generally speaking, projects connecting to the transmission grid that are not qualifying facilities under PERPA. So yes, it does apply to the RTOs and ISOs, but it also applies to transmission providers outside of RTO regions. So In RTO regions, the RTO is the entity that it will be responsible for complying with the order. And in other regions, it will be the public utility transmission provider that has to comply and submit a filing to FERC.
0: So speaking of the public utility transmission provider, let's talk a little bit about North Carolina you know we i think i had mentioned at the the top of the conversation that north carolina has already moved forward with our own interconnection queue reforms specifically the the cluster study model and, and so how does how does this order from ferc potentially interact with those rules that may already be in place in a duke territory in north carolina for instance
1: yeah so what the utilities are are probably doing right now is looking reading through the order very carefully and identifying where they think they're already compliant and where they might have to make some additional changes to come into compliance, there is some flexibility both in RTO and non-RTO regions to deviate from the sort of pro forma or standard requirements that FERC is setting in this order. So in non-RTO regions, there's a consistent with or superior to is the standard. Uh, And that's the standard that that duke argued to FERC when it applied in um, 2021 to make changes to its uh interconnection procedures and at the time proposed to move to a cluster process which was not FERC's pro forma requirement arguing that it was consistent with or superior to FERC uh, requirements in place at the time and then in rto regions there's a bit more flexibility under the independent entity variation to just as long as the the variations are just and reasonable and not unduly discriminatory and accomplish the purposes of the order. So there is some flexibility. But again, in a non-RTO region, meeting that consistent with or superior to standard, um, I think even for transmission providers that have transition to a cluster study approach, there will be some incremental compliance requirements that they'll have to make tariff changes to to come into compliance with Order 2023. So I think including some of the information transparency requirements that I mentioned, as well as we didn't talk yet about the requirements for transmission providers to meet firm study deadlines. That's something that FERC Finalized in the order was currently transmission providers are subject to what's called the reasonable effort standard, which basically means as long as you've made a reasonable effort to meet the study deadlines, there's no there's really no recourse for for failing to do so. FERC has replaced that with instead a series of penalties for transmission providers that fail to meet the study deadlines that they've laid out. So that's an important part of the order where where FERC is saying, okay, we're increasing requirements on interconnection customers to meet certain readiness requirements and milestones along the cluster study process. We're also requiring requiring transmission providers to sort of step up and do their part and setting some parameters around that. And then there's also a bunch of requirements around accommodating new technologies and evaluating grid enhancing technologies that are also part of coming into compliance. So I think all of those things, you know, it'll vary by utility exactly what what they have to do to come into compliance, but they're, there's more than just the transition to the cluster that, that will have to be part of the interconnection process to to be compliant with the order.
0: I have to imagine that implementing penalties for not meeting study deadlines is is probably not the most popular with everyone. So with that being said, are there potential groups that may be opposed to this order that we could expect to see requests for rehearing as part of the, the procedural process moving forward?
1: Yeah. So there's a 30-day rehearing window. So we haven't hit it yet. So I don't know who will file and what they will say. But I think based on the comments that that FERC got on the proposal, um, and they did include in the proposal, this uh, penalty, they actually increased it from the proposal to the final rule, but based on comments, but they certainly got pushback from transmission providers and from many of the RTOs on this penalty proposal. So that certainly is something that could get challenged on rehearing. And then, and I think, You know, it's a very long order. There's different parts of it that different entities from different perspectives and coming at the interconnection process from from different places will take issue with different parts of the order. So, for transmission providers, I would certainly expect the repeal of reasonable efforts is is something based on comments submitted in response to the proposal would be something that that they might be taking issue with. I think for developers, they're are more likely to be sort of smaller details of the compliance requirements that could be improvements too that that might come up on rehearing.
0: We talked about that that thirty day window that parties can file requests for rehearing. What about the broader procedural process? You know what what happens after that window closes, and when could we expect to see this order implemented?
1: Yeah, so FERC set a ninety day compliance timeline. That's 90 days from publication of the final order in the Federal Register, which actually has not happened yet. Um, It's a very long order, so it's taking a while for it to get put into the Federal Register. So they set 90 days. It's possible that we'll see extension requests, especially from entities that feel they have more to do to come into compliance with the order. But we haven't seen any of that yet, so we'll, we'll see if those come in. But that's the That's the timeline that FERC has set for RTOs and utilities to submit compliance filings. And then there will be a comment process at at FERC and and FERC decisions on those compliance filings. And then in terms of rehearing, there's this 30-day requirement around 30-day timeline to file rehearing requests. And then FERC has 30 days to respond to that, but they can... Deny uh, rehearing requests and and follow up at a later point with substantive responses that, that will be sort of their final rule on rehearing. So that could take longer to play out.
0: So I won't ask you to speculate then on on timing because it's probably anybody's guess based on what happens in these next steps. So aside from the the procedural next steps, let's let's just talk about the the order. And and so surely this doesn't solve all of our transmission and interconnection issues. So with that being said, does this order go far enough? And, and what additional reforms would organizations like Advanced Energy United like to see on top of the order
1: 2023? Yeah, well, I, I do want to acknowledge this is this order is important progress. When reading through it, you realize how much work the commission put into, they got thousands of pages of conflicting comments from lots of different stakeholders, and they had to wade through all of that. And to come out with a unanimous uh, approval of this order is really pretty impressive. So I, I don't want to say that it's not valid and 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 really a, a, an important step forward. But I think even some of the commissioners in their statements and concurrences acknowledge that this is a first step and that more is needed to address interconnection challenges. First, the transmission piece of the equation, building out transmission and, and planning that farther in advance in a way that we're not really currently adequately doing. There's also additional interconnection process reforms that, in, in addition to what FERC put forward, that I, in some some of these need a little bit more thought leadership to sort of consolidate. Some of them, I think, could could be a little bit more ready to go. But in, improving and standardizing how studies are done and how the the thresholds for for identifying upgrades just to make sure that we have an efficient and predictable process, Uh, adopting a a focused interconnection approach and commissioner Clements actually referenced this in her concurrence to ensure that upgrades that are identified through the interconnection process are, are truly those that are needed to reliably connect new resources to the grid, especially for projects that are seeking to provide energy and not capacity addressing lack of transparency and cost overruns and delays in the actual construction of network upgrades that get identified through the interconnection process, ensuring that we're really using grid enhancing technologies. So one thing that the order does that's, that's important and that we certainly support is it requires consideration of grid enhancing technologies, technologies that can basically help us to get more out of our existing transmission system, but there's not really a strong requirement to 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 use those technologies. And then just improvements to staffing resources, use of automation and software and sort of best tools and practices. Um, I think it's a it's a place where there's a lot of a lot of opportunity and in some cases a lot of openness to explore, but I think a lot more work needed to make sure that we're adequately staffing these processes and, and making use of the best available technologies, just given the, the volume of projects that are seeking to connect to the grid, which is really different than what the interconnection process has historically been expected to, to facilitate.
0: FERC certainly has their work cut out for them with all of those those items that you've mentioned but really important items to address and you also have your work cut out for you as you'll be tracking all of these items as they continue to move through FERC over the coming couple of years um but but caitlin i i want to thank you for for joining us on this episode to to lay out everything going on with FERC order 2023 as it's been one of the questions that i've been getting most here in North Carolina is is what's going on with the order and how does that interact with what's already happened here within the state. So I hope this conversation is really enlightening for a number of our listeners. And uh, we'll, we'll have you on again in the future to talk about some of those other updates to, to transmission as we continue to see those pop up at FERC. So Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast.
1: Great. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me and always happy to talk about interconnection.
0: Pending the next steps in the procedural process at FERC, this could be a huge step forward for clean energy projects across the country waiting for interconnection approval. Now, granted, as I mentioned before in the conversation, Duke Energy has already implemented a cluster study model here within North Carolina and we're still seeing significant delays in interconnection approval, but this does address one of the many hurdles that projects across the country have been dealing with. Obviously, studying impacts of projects on the grid one by one is costly and time consuming, which doesn't serve the public interest of interconnecting more low-cost, reliable generation to the grid. Moving to a model in which the utility studies multiple projects at a time can surely help to reduce ratepayer costs and at least help to move projects along quicker than the snail's pace that they're currently proceeding with. Make sure to check out the show notes to see a link to FERC order 2023, Duke Energy's Q reform, and the report from the North Carolina Utilities Commission on interconnection delays. This episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is brought to you by Solarize the Triangle, a community-based group purchasing program for solar energy and battery storage. The program now has more than 12 governments participating here in the Triangle area, allowing homeowners from all across the region to participate and see significant savings on the cost of installation via the power of group purchasing. So if you're interested in installing solar on your home, there's never been a better time. Visit SolarizeTheTriangle.com for more information today. All right. And that's all for today's episode. Have ideas for future episodes or a burning clean energy question you want to see covered? Send me a note at mattable at energync.org. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider contributing or sponsoring today to help ensure we can continue to bring you great content like today's episode. Sponsorship opportunities and more can be found at energync.org forward slash the squeaky clean energy podcast. And episode 97 of the squeaky clean energy podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the podcast on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.